All right, thank you, worship team. Good morning. You can have a seat. Welcome to Mount Helena Community Church. My name is J.R. Quigley, and uh, I will be bringing you the message this morning, but I just have a couple of things I want to mention. If you are a guest with us this morning, we do have what we call a welcome packet out there at the Welcome Center, and that can tell you a little bit about who we are as a church and maybe help you take some further steps to get connected here if you're interested. Uh, that would be a great thing for you to do before you leave. Swing by there and grab one. We'd be, we're glad that you joined us today. If you're joining us online, you also can... Uh, Check us out on our website, mounthelena.org, if you'd like to learn more about who we are uh, as a church. Uh, one announcement I have for you is, I don't know if you knew this, but Christmas is this week. And uh, we're having a Christmas Eve service. We're having two services coming up at 4 o'clock and 5.30. And uh, is that Thursday? Is Christmas Eve Thursday? Yes, I probably should know that, probably, huh? I should probably show up. I'll be here. Uh, but we will not be having a service on the 27th, uh, the Sunday following Christmas. So you get to sleep in on Sunday. So there you go. I'm not sure that early service people care about sleeping in anyway, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you joined us. We've been talking the, in recent weeks about overflowing hope, and it seems reasonable with the Christmas season to be discussing the subject of hope. And looking at it from different angles, and this week I've, I've called this, decided to call this message the Good Shepherd. And um, as many of you know, the Christmas story starts out uh, in Luke, not necessarily starts out, but one of the most significant moments is uh, regarding shepherds. But before I dive into that, I, I do want to remind us that uh, we have access to an overflowing hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope... And I want to remind you that Paul in his writing of Romans saw God and, and hope so significantly uh, attributed to God that he labels God in this way. The God of hope. Our God is the source of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. A couple of holiday words, a couple words our world could use more of, I think. Joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with hope. Overflow with hope. Sounds, sounds enjoyable. Sounds like something... I could use, and I think all of us could use, hope to the degree that it is overflowing and significant in our lives. Our hope isn't in money. It isn't in power. It isn't in politicians. It isn't in a form of government. It's not in substances. It's not in material gain. It's in Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There is no other hope. There's nothing else that can sustain us to a point of overflowing. There's no other source. All other things fail and come up short in comparison to God Himself. I think before we dive into this today, I do want to 
Uh, just something that I often have to remind myself of when I'm looking at the Scripture and wanting to learn from them. You guys, knowledge is never enough. Information is never enough. Knowing the story is never enough. We always have to, when, when, we, when we read the Scripture or we hear somebody teaching, we always have to wrestle with, where does the rubber meet the road here? Where does the information actually take effect in my life? Where do I actually take action based on the information? So whenever someone is teaching or whenever you're reading the Word, consider yourself in the situation. How does this apply to my life? How do I apply it? How do I engage with God and engage in His Word in such a way that it changes the way that I live or changes the way that I think? It's so important as we're absorbing the Word of God that we're not doing so just to obtain information. The fact is, there is probably very little I will share with you today that you've never heard before. Isn't that interesting that week after week, year after year, for 2,000 years, we're hearing this teaching week after week. And really, I don't know that there's any new information. The real challenge is, are we applying the information in our lives? And that's what the reminder of His Word ultimately is for those who have, have been hearing it for many, many years. Anyway, just something to consider while we dissect the Scripture today. And I do have a lot of Scripture to cover today. One of the things that I believe about preaching is um, the most important or authoritative. The thing that really carries the day is the Word of God. You know, I might have something funny or clever or thoughtful to say, but it has really nothing carries the same power and weight as the Scripture itself. The Scripture is what matters. In fact, I, I think if I, said no, if I did nothing else but stand up here and read Scripture to you today, that Word of God, the Scripture says of itself that it will go forth and accomplish what He has sent it to do. And I believe that even if I just went through the Bible and started reading people's lives would be touched because the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's powerful and effective for what it's sent to do. So there you go. We're going to have some Scripture today. Have you ever wondered why the angels appeared to the shepherds in the Christmas story? A lot of people have thoughts about it. We don't have any particular explanation from the Scripture that we can count on as totally reliable, so I don't really have an answer for you, but it does prompt some interesting conversation around shepherds. You know, by the time that Jesus' day arrived, shepherds were uh, not always the most respected people in the community. It was a kind of a labor job that wasn't regarded as uh, very important, although some of them were. They did raise sheep, lambs, to be slaughtered at Passover for the Jews. And um, it, could, it was important for, in some situations, but for the most part it was not highly regarded. Although way back in the days of Abraham it was a, a noble career. I want to read to you the story out of Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, being the same region where Mary and Joseph had come, Bethlehem, where Joseph and Mary had come to be registered for the census of Rome at the time. And in the same region, where the she- the <clears throat> in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now we tend to just 
read right over these things, but have you ever wondered what it must be like to encounter an angel? We look at these stories of Gabriel appearing to, to uh, Zechariah, and he was terrified, and to Mary, and she was afraid. And the angel here appears to the shepherds, and they were full of great fear. What the power of God and that, that aura and that magnificence must be like to come face to face with a spiritual power like that. It struck fear in their hearts, and I think it probably would you and I as well if we ran right into that today. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. You don't need to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Giving glory to God. All of these angels appear. We don't know how many. Must have been a lot of them. If they were afraid at one, what did it feel like with a multitude of angels suddenly appearing? And saying these words, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered. Just put yourself in this situation for a minute. In the manger scene, I mean, you, many of you probably have a manger scene set up somewhere in your house or you'll go see one on Christmas Eve or whatever it is. Imagine the situation and, and you're Mary and Joseph and, and she's given birth to this child. The baby's laying, baby Jesus is laying in a manger, wrapped up, and these shepherds burst in. They probably didn't smell particularly good. It's the middle of the night, or it's dark anyway. And these shepherds burst in, and they begin to tell this fascinating story. An angel appeared to us also, just like it did you, Mary. And this is what he had to say. A Savior is born in the city of David. The city of David is Bethlehem which is actually just a small town. And all who heard it wondered. What an amazing thing to hear firsthand and what the sh- at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. pretty interesting that um, it was shepherds and the reoccurring theme of shepherds that we see throughout the scripture. You know, in, in, uh, historically, in between Bethlehem, <clears throat> I may get the name of this wrong, in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there was a, a tower, um, and I, I should have wrote it down because I can't remember what it's called, the Migdal 
Eder, the Migdal Eder. And what it was, it was a place where all the sheep that were being raised for Passover were at. So it was right in this vicinity. It's possible that these shepherds were even a part of this process of raising these sheep to be slaughtered as the sacrifice for the sins of the people. Right? You're starting to see the connection? And yet these angels appear to them, these shepherds that are raising these sheep, and says, a Savior has been born, and He lies in a manger. You know, in the, the Jews believed, according to some of their tradition, and particularly the Mishnah, they, they believed or they predicted that the Messiah that they were looking forward to, the Savior, would actually be, would actually be revealed at this place called the Migdal Eder, the place where the sheep were being raised and brought in for the sacrifice and examined for the sacrifice. They even, some of the tradition says and believes, and this isn't in the scripture, this is just some of the uh, stuff historically that we look at, that they actually would take the lambs and place them in a manger and examine them because they had to be without spot or blemish to be ready for the sacrifice. And they would even wrap them in swaddling cloths. Isn't that interesting? That all of these connections that God would make, He would then fulfill prophetically. He, all these things are going on prophetically, foreshadowing and foreseeing that God would then bring the Christ, the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for the people in the same way, in a way that they could identify with these lambs. And He appears to the shepherds. Why didn't He appear to the religious leaders? Why didn't He appear to the king? Why didn't he appear on like the local news stations and go, all right, he's here, everybody? It didn't happen that way. It was a humble scene, a humble situation. We see shepherds reoccurring throughout the Scripture in many different ways and places. Perhaps you think of, well, it makes sense, of course, you know, that God would speak in this way to the people. They were uh, an agrarian society, which most of mankind has been all throughout history. Raising sheep and crops, and God speaks so much in those analogies to the people. You might think of David, the shepherd boy, the forefather, if you will. Jesus came from the line of David. Joseph was from the line of David. David, the shepherd boy, out in the fields, singing the psalms and protecting the sheep. All these prophecies about Jesus will... I want to look at one in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. So we've just looked at this story where the angel appears to the shepherds. Um, we're looking, we're, it's taking place in the town of Bethlehem. Here you go in the book of Micah, hundreds of years before, this is what Micah prophesies. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. This was prophesied hundreds of years before. In fact, when Herod finds out that these, the, the magi from the east have come, the wise men have come to honor Jesus, he begins to inquire about this. And they say, where must the Savior be born? And, and, the, and the scholars of the day say, the scriptures teach that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. And indeed, that came to pass. In fact, Herod, when he can't, when the wise men deceive him, he goes in and he kills all the little boys in Bethlehem, slaughters them, all the boys up to two years old, reminiscent of the deliverance of Israel in Moses' day. 
and the actual Passover and the cause, the early cause for the celebration. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. See, this has been being planned from the beginning of time. John, when he starts out his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the ancient day, this Jesus would come. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. Prophesying that Jesus would be a great shepherd of the flock of his people. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of, his name of, the, Lord, of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Again, something they couldn't foresee, but something we have the benefit of hindsight. It's so easy when something's behind you to look back and be a quarterback, Monday morning quarterback about the situation and be like, how did they not see? How did they not know? And yet, if you were in the time, we're in a time right now where someday we will look back and go, how did they not see? How did they not know? But we don't know right now. And they didn't know either. It's good stuff to dwell upon and think about. To the ends of the earth. See, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he gave us a command, a commission. And, and his church is on mission now until the end of, the, to, till the end of time, until he re- returns till the, at the end of this age. And he says, make disciples of all nations. And from that point forward, this shepherd is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth, all over the world, well beyond Israel. And that was prophesied all those years ago. And he shall be their peace. Again, there we see the word again, peace on earth, the, shepherd, the angels said. Or we're looking at Romans chapter 15, the God of hope that you will, you will be filled with joy and peace to overflowing. If we want peace, we have to have Him. I had a th- thought this week, and I'm o- always praying for the benefits. God, give me peace. God, give me joy. God, give me hope. And I just felt like God sort of dropped this thought in my mind that He is the source of all those things. If I have Him then I have all those things. He said, stop praying for the things. Start praying for me. Asking for me. And I just continue to find myself going, God, give me more of you. And the benefit of those things will be the hope and the peace and the joy because he's the shepherd of my soul. He's the shepherd of his people. And if I invite the shepherd to be a part of my life, in my decisions, in my everyday way of living, then those benefits of who he is... Because He's the source of those things. He is the source. We see the analogy of the shepherd in the famous passage, Psalm 23. Great, short psalm for you to memorize. It's always very helpful. I have found this very comforting in many days of my life. So important. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Hey, for you kids, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it to you again, or you adults too. When it says, I shall not want, it doesn't mean that I shall not want things. It means that I won't be in need of everything. I won't be in a position where I need anything because I have God, okay? I just always felt like the phrasing of that needed to be clarified because when I was a little kid, I thought it meant that it was wrong for me to desire things because of this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Listen, what does is, what is the shepherd of your soul do for you? What does this shepherding look like? I mean, just think of what a shepherd literally does. He herds sheep. He moves them from place to place. He does so that, so that they will thrive, so that they will be full of life, so that they will produce the fruit that they're supposed to produce. And God does that with you and I in our lives. We don't need anything when this shepherd stands alongside of us and leads us beside the still wash, waters and in the green pastures. Why does he do that? What is, the psalm, what is David saying here in the psalm about the shepherd? He will lead us in the things that we need. He will take us to places that we need to go. How reassured you and I can be that we have the great shepherd of our souls leading us in green pastures, figuratively, and beside still waters, and restoring our soul, and leading us in righteousness for His own sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There we see that language again. That over, if I could use the word like this, the overflowingness. I want to walk in overflowingness, a state of overflowing, where whatever God is pouring into me is leaking out because there's so much of it. Joy and peace and hope, and the still waters, and the green pastures. Oh, I skipped a whole section there, didn't I? Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in my mind, I have to remind myself, I'm, I'm still walking with a shepherd in this visual Walking through the valley of the shadow of death with a shepherd beside me, with his rod and his staff, and I'm comforted because he's right there next to me. So no matter what's going on around me, the darkness and the death and the decay and the fear and the uncertainty, I can leave that all behind for those green pastures and those still waters in my soul because there's a shepherd by me, guarding me. He holds the rod and the staff. I won't go astray. You know, you've got the, the crook of the shepherd's staff that you see. Like if we had, you know, the manger scene, they've got the, the hook on the end of the staff. What's that for? It's for reaching out and grabbing and pulling back and, and keeping from danger and keeping from going astray. The shepherd reaches out and he does that for you and I. That's who he is for us pulling us back in. We can be confident. See, this is where this overflowing hope idea comes in. That I could walk through the valley of shadow of death, but I've got a shepherd with me 
who's got a staff and a rod to protect, and he pulls me in, and he keeps me from going astray and losing my footing. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. He is the one who we walk with and we are guided by. This shepherd prophesied in the Psalms and prophesied in Micah and many other places in the scripture came and appeared on earth in a manger as a baby. Jesus, during his lifetime, taught about himself in this way. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. He goes before them. He leads them, right? He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Reminiscent again of Psalm 23. Find good things to eat, to grow, to be sustained. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't, does abundant life sound like something you want? Does abundant life sound like something that the community and the world around you could use? Abundant life. Why did Jesus come that we would have life abundantly to the extent of which it becomes eternal? Eternal life. That is abundant. Abundant, overflowing, large. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, of course, as we know, laid down his life as the sacrificial lamb. He fulfilled Passover as the sacrifice. But he also is the example to you and I. Lay down your life for one another. Lay down your interests. Lay down your priorities. Lay down yourself in order to serve other people. That is his way. That is how he demonstrated for us to live. And that's what he did for us, to lay down his life for the sheep. He who is coming and, I'm sorry, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. See, 
wolves come. Wolves, yes, the scripture teaches about wolves being false leaders. Wolves being false doctrine, false understanding, wrong thinking. All these things try to come in and rob and steal from the flock. We are not, we don't have a shepherd that runs away from us, nor do we run away from one another. Nor do, that's why the, the, the says, do not forsake the fellowship of the believers. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It is a priority that we be a flock. And we have a good shepherd who does not run away from us. And we do not run away from one another. And we watch for the predator. Don't want to get us all hunting and looking at one another <laughs> suspiciously. But understanding that being a wolf is actually a sowing of false doctrine, a sowing of wrong theology, wrong thinking, wrong understanding of who God is. But we have a shepherd that grabs us with the crook of his staff and keeps us in line and keeps us in the pastures in which he wants us. He leaves the sheep and he flees, the hired hand does, but not the real shepherd. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Who's he talking about there? Who are the other sheep that our great shepherd was going to go for? See, at this time, the understanding was the only sheep were a particular group of people, the Israelites. That they were his only sheep. They were his flock. They were his people. But he goes on to say, I have other people. I have other sheep. And it would be a light to the Gentiles as it was prophesied. And this gospel, the God of hope, he would go beyond the boundaries of Israel to the very ends of the earth. To all of his other sheep, which happens to be you and I sitting here in this room today when Jesus said I have other sheep he was talking about you and he was talking about me for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again (laughs) no one takes it for me but I lay it down on my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my father There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Controversy was stirred by the words of the shepherd. Of course, Jesus goes on to be the sacrificial lamb, to die on the cross, to be resurrected as our Savior. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17 says this, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. That sounds good. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. It's talking about God's people in the end. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb becomes the shepherd. Interesting. And he will guide them. Again, 
that reassuredness, that hopefulness, that message of good news, he will guide them to springs of living water. Guide who? His sheep. Who? You. Me. Us. He will guide us. He is our guide. He is our good shepherd. He's such a good shepherd, he's laid down his life for us. And the day comes. Well, we'll go on to see where he says right here. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a reassuring, encouraging, hopeful word for us and for the world. The lamb becomes the shepherd. So I exhort the elders among you. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. So not only uh, did we talk about shepherds in the literal sense and then Jesus becoming the good shepherd and, and in the end of time the shepherd over all things, but also he then appoints shepherds, under shepherds. We'll start with the very literal way that's demonstrated in Scripture. <clears throat> so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Okay, does Paul, the, the structure that Paul put in place in the churches was the appointment of elders. He appointed elders in the churches to oversee the affairs of the churches. Okay, and so when Peter's talking about elders and fellow elders, these are the leaders of the church. It was their pattern. It's why we are an elder-led church. It's why we believe in eldership as the form of governing, governing for the church because that's what we see in the Scripture. And, and Peter here is appealing to them as a fellow elder and a, a witness of the suffering of Christ. Je, uh, Peter saw this stuff firsthand. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. What is one of the responsibilities? Of course, first and foremost of the elders of the church or leaders in the world to shepherd the people that they have authority over. But it's also, I think, an example for all of us. All of us are shepherding something. All of us are shepherds of something or someone. We're shepherds of our families. We're shepherds in, in relationships with our friends. We're, we're there to help things along and to nurture and to encourage and to lead people in those green pastures and in those still waters and to lead them to the great shepherd of their souls. We all have responsibility to steward in creation. We are the stewards of creation. And I hope you feel a little bit of responsibility with these words to be a shepherd in whatever way God has you at this point in your life. You say, well, I'm not shepherd over any big flock of anything. Well, you've got a job, you've got friends, you've got people in your life, you maybe have a ministry responsibility at church. Be a good shepherd. Look to the good shepherd who lays down his life as an example to shepherd the people that God has given to your care. No, no matter who they are or what it is that God has called you to do. But he's specifically exhorting the elders of the church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Again, that should be the attitude of the elders of the church, and it should be all of our attitudes in the things that we have responsibility over and leadership of. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, this whole concept of shepherding and sheep and being a flock and stewarding and relationship and green pastures and still water, all of these things apply to you and I today in our spiritual lives and in our relationships. The analogy of the shepherd runs through and through our lives and has all throughout history. And I just find it so encouraging. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, And he, being Jesus, the ascended Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Again, God has gifted people. He's he's given to the church people that shepherd, people that guide, people that lead. Again, he uses this. Some translations, this is the... This word shepherds in Ephesians chapter 4, and I, I could go totally down off, off on a trail and tangent on this, but um, it's the only time in some translations that the word shepherd gets translated pastor. It's where we get the word pastor. It's the only place in the Bible. And I, I have some thoughts and feelings about that, but it's why, it's why we don't make a big deal about necessarily using that as a title because it's a gift, It's a gift that some people have and some of you have. Some of you, if you will, have a gift to pastor others. It doesn't mean you have to run off to college and get a degree to be a pastor. It means you're a shepherd. You're a good shepherd of people. Some of you have that from God. And that's a good thing because he's an example of a good shepherd for us. And why? That we would equip. See, this whole kingdom and shepherding and flock process is towards something. It's not just so we could be sheep that sit here and get fat and happy. It's because there's a work to do. There's a kingdom to be extended. There's an equipping that needs to take place because there's an activation that has to take place. We need to be equipped to do the work. The church is on a mission. As a flock, we're we're a it's kind of a silly way to think about it, but we're a, we're a herd of sheep on a mission. And I don't know if sheep get a lot done, but we sure try. Thank God we have such a good shepherd. I want to remind you that in Second Corinthians, in the first chapter, when I think of the things that a shepherd does, actually before I get into that, you know, I was told one time a few years ago, I didn't realize this, but you know, there's a story in the Bible where it says, he will leave the 99 to go find the one stray sheep, right? And we sing about it in this, one of our worship songs, and we, like, we, like, we take comfort in the idea that I was one of the 99 once, running away from the flock, not being with my people, running away from the shepherd. And yet he came to me and he found me. But do you know what the shepherd would do with a stray lamb who kept running away? He would break their leg. You know that picture of Jesus carrying the sheep over his shoulders? You ever seen that old school image before? Jesus walking and he's carrying a sheep up here like this? Well, the shepherd would break the leg of the lamb and he would carry the lamb like that. And the lamb would get familiar with him and used to him and love him. 
and then stick with him. Jesus did that to me once when I was running away. And he came and he broke my leg and I was broken. I couldn't run anymore and he picked me up and he put me on his shoulders and he carried me. And I loved him. And that's so many of your story as well. Jesus came and he broke your leg and it hurt. <laughs> and it wasn't fun. And you didn't want to give up maybe. And you were happy, a happy peg and running in another direction. <laughs> but life came along and you didn't think it was God. You thought your circumstances were all the devil, but it was God breaking your leg that he could throw you over his shoulder and carry you back to the flock. I think in this Christmas season, there are probably some of you in here. There are probably people in your circle, people in your community who need reminded, you have a shepherd that wants to shepherd you. You have a shepherd who loves you. You have a shepherd who will break your leg if he has to and carry you. I want to do something this morning. I have just a couple of minutes. I, I want to give you a chance to respond today to what I'm saying. And I want the opportunity to pray for you. If you are stirred by this and really feel like, God, I have not been letting you shepherd me fully. I've been running away from the flock. I need your comfort. I need those green pastures. I need those still waters. I've been in that valley of the shadow of death. And I've been scared. Then I, I, want, you to, I want you to be bold and just lift your hand this morning. And let us pray for you. If you would like us to pray for you, then I would challenge you. Raise your hand. And let us pray. Let's pray. You guys think of it. Take a look around a little bit. Pray for somebody close to you. Don't go over to them and lay hands on them. We don't have time for that today. Let's be praying for these people. Father, we come before you today thankful that you are the good shepherd. You are the shepherd of our souls. You're the one who gives us good feed and good drink. Stuff that's good for us sustains us, causes us to be fruitful. And God, I pray for each one of these that have raised their hand submitting to you today. God, I pray you would honor their selflessness. God, that you would honor their willingness to submit to you. And God, I pray that you would meet them where they are. God, that you would comfort them. Second Corinthians, first chapter Paul calls you the God of all comfort. You're the shepherd that comforts us. And God, I pray you would wrap your arms of love, the loving arms of the shepherd, around each one of these today that is responding to you in their heart. And God, I pray that you would bring them along in whatever is next for them. Lord, that you would herd them in the direction you have for them. God, that you would sustain them in their process. God, that you would encourage their hearts and minds to be full of faith. Lord, encourage all of us to be overflowing with hope. We have every reason to be. You. You are that reason. You are the source of the peace. 
You are the source of the hope. And so we submit ourselves to you, all of us. Hurt us along. We're, we're ornery sheep sometimes. But God, I pray you would hurt us along. And we trust you, Lord, that you are taking us to higher and better pasture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Hope you're be encouraged. Be strengthened. We'll see you on Thursday here at one of the Christmas Eve services. No service next Sunday. There'll be a prayer team right up over here to my left. I would love to pray with you if you'd like to receive prayer today. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next week.